Uh, well, it's been a uh, it's been quite a let's see, let's see. Purim, I believe, was March tenth, April, May, June, July. It's been quite a four month period, one third of a year. Uh, that we have had one topic that has dominated the headlines and has dominated our thought processes, and that's the topic of coronavirus, COVID-19, where the Jewish community and, frankly, the medical community in general would be without Dr. Stuart Ditchick. I don't know, Uh, but I figured this is a good time, as a lot of camps have already opened up, obviously not in New York State, referring to the overnight camps. Um, Some camps are set to open the next few days. Um... Numbers spiking in states outside of New York and New Jersey. Uh, Looking a lot more numbers-wise like New York and New Jersey did. Uh, Israel going through what they're going through. I think the city of Beitar is one example of a city that's now under complete lockdown as of this morning for at least a period of a week. So with all this going on, I thought we'd get Dr. Dietrich on for a a comprehensive um, update regarding COVID-19. Dr. Stuart Ditchick, great doctor, great author, wonderful representative of our community. Welcome back to JM in the AM. Good morning, Nachum. Thank you. You're dating me with Rabbi Ari Khan. We went to high school together in BTA in the 70s. Wow. Was he a great source of uh, Jewish inspiration back then as well? He was. Many of us were not, but he was. (laughs) (laughs) So you're you're both Ugers, officially. Correct. Well, I I didn't play for the Ugers that I was not of that quality but, of ball player. But, you know, but, 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 but if you're in the school, you're a Uyghur, whether you like it or not. <laughs> Correct. Um, all right, Dr. Dietrich, you heard the topics already. I just basically reviewed them. Yeah, You have to be – let's start with, with this. Uh, I love starting with a positive. You, you have to be somewhat impressed. I know that, that you have been skeptical over the last four months with the way people in our community have been addressing the situation, especially as concerns – uh, you know, a greater number of people when they're responsible for big crowds or or a lot of children, et cetera. But you have to be impressed with the way some camps, with the way some camps have prepared for their three, four, five, six-week session. Because I have my eyes on particular camps right now who are set to open or who have opened already, and it looks like they are going beyond the call of duty to make sure everybody stays safe. Would you agree? Absolutely. The, you know, we've been helping, as all pediatricians and internists have, we've been helping the camps get up and running by helping out with the screenings, uh, helping out with the, you know, with the safety protocols that have been put in place. We've already picked, we picked up a new positive yesterday on a young man, a teenager who was about to leave for camp today in Pennsylvania, uh, and he was detected right here in my office yesterday, which, thank God, prevented exposures to many hundreds. Uh, in that camp. So, you know, for those camps that are complying, I think it's been working out incredibly well. Um, There are camps that I'm told that are less compliant. I don't know yet where that's going to turn out. I know there are some camps out of state from New York that have already had in-camp exposures that have dealt with them very professionally, uh, isolating the individuals who were exposed and contacting the families immediately. Uh, so, yeah, overall, I think they've been doing a great job, and I'm proud of that. On the other end of things in our community, and you've been attesting to this since Purim, frankly, on the other end, there are segments uh, of our community. I don't, I don't mean religious segments. I'm talking about geographic segments and you know just pockets of people in different areas um, uh, who, who are not taking things as seriously. I was frankly warned 
to stay away because of my age and because of the fact that, I mean, I have no antibodies, and I don't even know if that means anything. You've explained to us that that down the road it probably doesn't mean anything, even though people have made up their own stuff about that. Uh, So, you know, and and I was warned not to show up at a specific place because nobody would be wearing masks and nobody would be social distancing. The only thing they'd be doing would be not shaking hands with others. That would be the only precaution they'd be taking. I'm sort of getting penalized for taking this really seriously since Purim time and doing my best not to get sick. So, Malcolm, let me address that, because that's such a critical issue now, and that is an area of great disappointment within our communities right now. Uh, and you can contrast it to the great job the camps are making an effort to do with the jobs that certain individuals with our, within our community are, are working against. Because when you don't comply with uh, with regulations or with proposals that will decrease community spread of infection, you're harming your own cause. Uh, and I'll give you an example. Right now, uh, we're working closely. There, there are uh, new cases right now in Deal, New Jersey. Uh, I know because most of my practice relocates to Deal. Uh, my uh, office staff will tell you we've been busy all week with positives in Deal, uh, with contacts that are unbelievable. There have been some big indoor parties there with no social distancing, and we're starting to see uptick of cases in Deal right now. Uh, Unfortunately, we had two positives yesterday and uh, two the day before. Uh, One of them was contracted in the backyard by somebody who showed up sick uh, and got a 75-year-old sick. Uh, So now what I will speak to within our communities, which is something I think needs to be talked about, I am told that people who are wearing masks in certain areas uh, and complying with the rules of social distancing are being ostracized. Uh, Specifically, they're being told uh, the pandemic's over, you're a fool, why are you wearing a mask? Uh, I heard some terrible stories of things that were occurring upstate recently uh, where people were forced to confront others uh, and people who were actually shamed for wearing masks. That is bizarre. When you look at Israel today, they were down to zero cases in Israel, near zero. Uh, They're in a state of a lockdown today in many cities in Israel. Uh, If you look at Florida, Texas, we're down to subclinical number of of cases in both of those states. Uh, You see what the results are when people behave badly. We're seeing the results in those states of Memorial Day weekend activities. It takes weeks and weeks to build up the numbers where we can epidemiologically understand what's going on, uh, track the number of hospitalizations and eventually deaths. So why we in our community, any of us, would take upon ourselves to shame others. I have a patient who is a very high-risk patient with a serious lung disease, a mother in my practice, uh, and she was told two weeks ago here in Brooklyn while shopping, uh, why are you wearing your mask? Take your mask off. The pandemic's over. You're making everybody look bad. Uh, when I hear other people discouraging people from being safe, that is contrary to halacha. That is contrary to everything we stand for. And all the efforts we've been making to get camps open out of New York State will be thrown to the wind if we if we allow activity like that. You know, I've said, I've quoted somebody who at the beginning of this thing, when they were analyzing the situation, especially in regard to our community, uh, they said that ignorance and arrogance is a uh, it leads to a lethal situation, and the, and, and the arrogance in our community, sadly, and I'm in the community, so you know I, I think I have a right to say it. The arrogance, I, I, the arrogance in our, I, in our community in regard to this is so 
unbelievable, and I mean that literally. It's hard to believe that we, as a people, as people of God and of faith and, of, and, and concerned for others always, family members and others, including 75-year-olds like you cited from that party, uh, and on top of that, are concerned about the Chilol Hashem. No, you know, back <laughs> there, there are experts based on what happened in the Spanish flu who are saying, be prepared. We might be wearing masks for the next year or two. It just might be the best practice in order to get through this whole thing. And we as a community in, in, in certain places are just, you know, completely poo-pooing it. It's fascinating. And if you watch the activity, watch physicians and nurses in general. Look how they're behaving. The majority of them are fully compliant. Uh, the physicians in my community, we're all davening in outdoor minyanim at this point. I don't know a single physician who's davening in an indoor minyan in my community. Uh, they're all being cautious because they know the risk. Uh, you know, my wife and I went shopping last night. Uh, we were in uh, a Target store here in Brooklyn. Uh, we did our shopping very quickly in and out. There was not a single person in that store not wearing a mask. Uh, contrast that to what's going on in, in some of our own supermarkets and some of our own stores where people are actually being discouraged from wearing masks. That's the Chilol Hashem. And even if you believe that this is over, which it is not, when you discourage people from wearing masks or you yourself refuse to, you are creating a Chilol Hashem, which is beyond the risk of a pandemic. You know, I, I, I won't, Dr. Stuart Ditchick is with us. For a moment, I'll leave all the politics out and whether things should reopen, shouldn't, we should have safely, you know, allowed uh, indoor dining in New York, et cetera. I mean, that, that, that can be debated forever. But what can't be debated is that the reason that the numbers went as low as they did, you know, it's funny, people in our community think the reason the numbers went so low is because everyone, in our, because quote unquote, everyone in our community had it. Well, guess what? <laughs> Not everybody in our community had it. And, you know, if it's 1% around the country who were, who tested, forget about dying, I'm talking about just who, who have tested positive, you know, I, it, maybe it's higher than that, slightly higher than that in our own community in certain densely, you know, populated areas of the Jewish community. But you know how much higher do you think it could possibly be? So the reality, the reality is that that the, the only reason this really went down to close to zero is because of the work that everyone has done to adhere to all the rules and regulations. And then when you relax the rule, and I'm not telling people not to go shopping, I'm not telling people not to even socialize, but there's a way to do it. You know, I said to you that you know my kids wouldn't let me go anywhere on, on a Cholamite Pesach. There were some possibilities of online concerts. They said, no, you're staying in the house, etc." and I'm sure you would have advised the same. When it came to Lagbomer and they said, okay, now, you know, we got to get started get, getting back to life, go do the event, but be very careful. So they did set up an area for me, you know, six feet away from everybody in this studio, etc., etc. Now, a lot of people in that room between me and you were not complying, but at the minimum, there was no handshaking. They, most of them wore masks as much as they could. If they wanted to speak directly to me, they faced away from me and from others. Like everyone knew that even if they're wearing a mask and they're only two feet away, still don't speak into someone's face. So like sort of like just because of the education we got, 99% of the of the rules were being followed. And, and the majority of what needed to be done was done. And thank God, I and nobody else in that room got sick you know, from that event. My point being that if people would just comply with what they were willing to do and, with, with, and they understood how important it is to do just a few months ago, 99% of it would be completely taken care of and, and their lives would be relatively unaffected. So let me, that's 100% true, Nachum, but let me tell you the flip side, which people don't want to hear. 
we are now seeing what are suspected to be reinfections in at least small numbers. Uh, Crown Heights, which was a community that was two to two and a half weeks ahead of the rest of the communities in Brooklyn, uh, started to see what they suspect were some reinfections in specific families. Meaning someone who got sick is sick again? Correct. Documented sick antibodies and then recovered and then now got sick in the last week and a half. The health department is assisting some of the physicians in that community now trying to figure those out. Yesterday, uh, we uh, discovered a newly COVID positive young lady. Uh, this is a very, this is actually a proven reinfection uh, right now, and we're working with the health department on this one. Uh, this young lady, whose mother is still critically ill after 15 weeks in one of the ICUs in the city, who wants to be a mother in my practice, who's critically ill, uh, 53-year-old mom, uh, that uh, one of uh, that individual's children has recultured positive after exposure at a party over the weekend in New Jersey. Now, how do we know she's a reinfection? Uh, because this young lady had tested negative for the virus several times. Uh, in fact, she had low level of antibodies at some point. Uh, she uh, tested negative because she was only allowed to go visit her mother if she would be tested negative. So she tested negative a number of times and now is positive after there were three cases at least at this party of infection. So if somebody so says, if is, somebody's 70 years old and they and they and they had it and had it, have antibodies, they got to be crazy not to follow the rules. 100%. And so what the point is, the greatest experts in the world uh, and my working group uh, as I've told you about, we meet every week at 5 p.m. Uh, on Sundays and it, this is a large group of 20 plus experts. We invite experts from all over the world to speak on our forum every week to educate us as we develop new research protocols, uh, every virologist, every immunologist we have hosted uh, or uh, we've uh, had as guests on our forum, some of them are members of our forum, have said the same thing, that we do not understand the immunology or the immunity of COVID right now. All we know is that we certainly develop antibodies in many cases, not in all cases, and that those antibodies decay over a period of 80 to 90 days, the ones that we're able to measure. The ones that we can't routinely measure, uh, we do not know if they confer any longer immunity than that. And if you look at flu influenza, uh, we know that you can get influenza multiple times in a season, and certainly uh, uh, different forms of the flu give you more risk. The only the great benefit we've had so far is this virus has not mutated dramatically. Therefore, the efforts to control it are going to hopefully be better with a vaccine. But for those of you who believe that you can walk around with a certificate saying you have antibodies, you're at no risk of getting or transmitting this disease, you are living in a dream world. You may be proven to be true two years from now when we have the data, but nobody whose expertise in the area of immunity has made that claim. Not a single expert that I am aware of has told us that there is long-term immunity once you've had COVID. What we do believe is that in the communities that have high numbers of cases, like Crown Heights, if we do see reinfections, which we believe we might be seeing at this point, uh, it could lead to larger number of cases, which points to your point exactly, which is why on the side of safety 
and wear a mask and wash your hands and keep distant from each other. And don't have indoor activities with hundreds of people, which is what's going on in certain elements of our community. You know, one of my kids said to me the other day that they were in a situation, obviously by accident. Thank God my kids wouldn't do anything stupid on purpose. Um, they said they were in a situation where they felt they were in an environment where people weren't being safe. So mom and dad, I'm just, we're not throwing them out of the house, but they said, I'm going to, you know, for a couple of days, I'm going to make sure not to go very close to you because just in case, just in case, just in case. And obviously they're going to be tested. That is the attitude. You're not telling people to not live their lives. You're not telling people not to go shopping. You're not telling people not to visit their elderly parents responsibly. If at this point they feel that at a distance, you know, that visit can take place. You're just begging people to use Seichel. You're begging people. Correct. <laughs> just, and, just, and and by the way, you're not telling people not to dive in with a minion. You know, even, no, even though no. you, even though you don't like the indoor minion, mine you would approve of. We have a 600 seat sanctuary with 25 people, so you would approve of that one. But I, but I, absolutely. And and by the way, my own experience. You know, my wife and I go out. Uh, we go shopping. We go to different activities. You know, we do meet other people right. under socially safe circumstances. We keep our distance. We wear our mask. You know, we're doing everything to bring our lives back to normal. The only way we're going to get back to normal is if we comply with the rules. I'm, I'm fully in favor of every business opening, every school opening. But we need to follow rules to keep us safe. That's all we're asking. I'm so glad you mentioned the schools because depending on, you know, which, which TV networks and news networks you watch, you get different opinions. Uh, I mean, it's it sounds like if you if you're ready to open schools and obviously you know with a pl- like we discussed with the camps with a plan and responsibly et cetera, you're willing to admit that the rate of infection in in kids is relatively low. In fact, really relatively low if you look at the at the full scope of things. And and in addition to that, there are ways to deal with adults in school situations who, God forbid, do test positive. I, I I would assume if you're if you're in favor of reopening the schools in our community. That, that you do believe that those systems can be put into place and they can be dealt with responsibly? They can. What worries me, Nahum, I'm advising certain schools here in the New York area, both in Brooklyn and Manhattan. Uh, you know, we've been advising them for weeks already on reopening plans, on structuring the classrooms, on spacing, things like that. We've been working very hard to reopen schools. However, the schools that are talking to me or other physicians that I know are very serious about regulations and reopening. That's why uh, they're talking to, to you. That's why they're Correct. talking to you. Right? Unfortunately, we're not getting as many phone calls as you would expect right. because there are schools that were even operating during the shutdown. Right. So, you know, we have to understand that the best efforts we make by opening the right way may be lost when schools don't comply and do things the wrong way. It's a, so it's the point. The point is we have to all do this together in uniform fashion to open the schools up safely. It's America's one and only Jewish Moments in the Morning Radio program heard on listeners-sponsored digital radio around the world, the web at NahumSiegel.com, on the NahumSiegel Network, and, of course, on the beloved NSN app. Dr. Stuart Ditchick is with us live via telephone. By the way, I know I'm holding you for a long time. If I'm, <laughs> if you need to run, let me know. Um by the way, th- this whole attitude of um, you know comparing it to the flu, and therefore you know once once I had it, can't get it again. Which again, you've you, you've told us how ridiculous that is. But you know that whole attitude is, is if you're going to be convinced that it's flu-like the coronavirus, 
then you have to start fearing that once we get to the beginning of the school year, September, October, November, that it could come back, you know, with a vengeance because we know that every season, especially the autumn season, brings along with it, you know, a, a lot more flu. So if you're going to compare it to the flu, if it, it, then 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 you should be upping your game tremendously during the summer months to educate our kids and our adults what to do in a situation like this. Correct. And there are so many reasons this is not comparable to a flu. All experts will tell you that. Uh, the only compar- uh, uh, comparison is that they're both viruses, but that's the only comparison. You know, when we dealt with swine flu, uh, it, it hit us very hard, but the, the, the number, the way it affected our society was only for a short period of time. Even the way we managed those people in critical care settings was similar to every critical care patient we'd seen prior to that. There was no difference in how you managed a swine flu critical care patient versus a critical care patient with another type of infection. However, with this infection, we didn't know how to manage these patients safely at the outset because, quite frankly, this is a disease that we're writing the textbook for as we speak. We still don't understand many aspects of this disease. Right now, I'm getting calls, as most of us are here in New York, from doctors in Florida uh, and in Texas, who are anxious to find out what worked and what didn't work here in the New York area. Right. Uh, quite frankly, I'm shocked at some of the phone calls I'm getting uh, because some of the uh, hospitals, the smaller ones for sure, are not prepared yet in terms of protocols, in terms of which medicines they should or shouldn't be giving at this point. So the fact is, this is no flu. This is not similar to flu in its behavior. It's highly contagious, much more contagious than any flu that I've been familiar with. Uh, And quite frankly, we need to gear up for the fall. And right now, most of the efforts of the group I'm working with are research-oriented. We have new drug trials. We're actually under approval process for now. I'm the co-investigator on several of those drug trials right now. Uh, And we're gearing up for the fall to better save lives, knowing that we have to be prepared. We're not sitting on our hands saying things are great. The medical community and the research community is working very hard to keep people safe in the fall right now because we are scared of what's going to happen if we don't have a vaccine by the fall. That is not meant to instill fear in people. It's meant to instill confidence in people that we're working very hard overtime now to make sure people are safe in the fall. The reality that in places like Florida, Texas, Arizona – uh, the average elderly American is being very careful. And I think that that's a pretty safe thing to say, that the average elderly American is in places like that and throughout the country, frankly, outside of our community, of course, uh, are, are handling things you know, the way they should. With that in mind, uh, and the average um, person who's testing positive in places like Florida and Texas is in now the 30s, meaning in the, you know, the age range of the 30s, do you anticipate a quick turnaround and these numbers to start dropping in states like that. We know that the death rates are much slower and much smaller than what we saw here in New York and New Jersey. Do you assume that the positives, as they get a handle on the situation, will start to go down? No, I think it's going to accelerate for a while, unfortunately. You know, today uh, we we hit the news of 60,000 positives yesterday in the United States. That's a record. We never reached those numbers during the peaks in March and April uh, here in, you know, when the, when it started, I think we have to pay attention to what Dr. Fauci said two weeks ago, 
Unfortunately, we're probably going to be looking at close to 100,000 cases per day in the very short future. That is a very dangerous number. In terms of the num, the, the reason we believe we're seeing younger cases is because a lot of these were linked to activities on or around Memorial Day when right. people were gathered in the thousands. I believe a lot of it is linked to the protests that occurred around that time where young people were massed in the hundreds of thousands throughout the United States. Uh, and quite frankly, as you said, elderly people are being more careful, thank God. Uh, we now know how to manage nursing homes much better. All nursing homes throughout the United States, to my knowledge, are under pretty much lockdown, right. including screening of employees on a regular basis. So we're protecting the nursing homes. However, the death rates, the way this epidemiology has worked out, is caseload is followed by hospitalization rates, is followed by death rates. So we won't know the, the number of deaths until the next few weeks, the next two to three weeks. However, I would caution everybody that we just got out of the July 4th weekend, right. where, again, there was a large amount of gatherings without proper rules being observed. So I am not comfortable that just because we're seeing younger people, we will see uh, less, um, uh, uh, dr less dramatic results. I know that we'll see less deaths, obviously, because young people don't die at nearly right. the same rate. However, uh, I'm going to remind everybody that in the New York area, what we did see in younger people were strokes and, and blood clots in large numbers. So they're not reporting that yet in those states. And I believe that once we see the numbers fall out in the next two to three weeks, what we're going to hear is that the, those complications for the young people will be more prominent However, the death rate will probably remain much lower than it was here in the New York area. And those strokes and blood clots, as you've pointed out to me, both publicly and privately, um, can lead to a lot of health problems down the road. So people who, yep. are, who are looking at things like that casually and just thanking God that they didn't die from this thing, God knows how much shorter their life will be because of the conditions that they're getting uh, due to COVID-19. Uh, some of the comments we're getting from our listeners, one says, I'm constantly seeing on Instagram weddings and there are tons of people and nobody's wearing masks. That's unbelievable that our people are allowing videos to go around where we are blatantly not following the rules of these weddings and celebrations. It's really scary. Plus, it's keeping me away from events, Dr. Dietrich, and, that, and that's unfair to me, as I described to you earlier. Uh, also, yeah. also um, someone writes, how about Jewish vacation programs that openly advertise that they don't do social distancing minyanim. And certain news sites where the comment sections are filled with comments about communities who are being careful and therefore are being publicly ostracized. It is unbelievable. You follow the rules, you try to do what's right, and I don't just mean from a Kiddush Hashem standpoint, you try to do what's right for those around you and keep your parents, grandparents, and kids safe in the environment, you end up being criticized for it. I never would have dreamt that that would be coming from our community. I can only imagine. And and one of our listeners writes, and you don't have to answer this if you don't want to, but I'll paraphrase what they're saying. What's it like, Dr. Dietrich, to be told by somebody whose last science class was in fourth grade 40 years ago in yeshiva that COVID is over with someone like yourself who's up to date on the, on the latest and is one of the great medical people in our community thinks otherwise? <laughs> You don't have. You I'm, don't, you don't. Listen, I'm fascinated by you know all of those comments. I, I have to tell you that you know it's just so contrary to who we are as a people when you hear these things. You know the the greatest medical minds in in history came out of our communities historically and continue to. 
uh, the greatest uh, peace, Nobel Peace Prize laureates. Everything came out of our communities. That didn't happen by ignorance. It happened by combining our, our tremendous faith with our tremendous ability to achieve. And when you do things like this, when you berate others for trying to do the right thing, you wash out all of that history, in my view. And I'm, I'm ashamed of that. I really am. It is unbelievable, I'll tell you. It, 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 it is shocking that uh, our people have uh, reacted this way. By the way, how much do you admire the Torah giants, and I mean giants, who've made a commitment not to return to shul because they feel it's not safe for them to do it at their age? It, it must, you know, and, and, and we know how badly they'd like to dive in with a minion, frankly. But they are not ready. They are, not, they are following Dr. Fauci. They are not ready. Correct. They are not ready to... to to go into this environment, you know, where there's a 1% chance that they're going to come out sick, God forbid. 1% and they're not willing to take that risk. It's incredible to watch. I've written about it. I've spoken about it. Rip David Cohn, who I'm very close to, uh, has been one of the leaders in that area. We helped him uh, get up to Camp Monk recently, where he spends every summer. The camp was hugely helpful in setting up a safe circumstance for him to be there. Um, I have to tell you that most of the Rabbanim who I've been in touch with, the vast majority are following exactly what you just said, and they're doing it by example to others. And I have to tell you, I have great admiration for the Rabbanim for the way they're behaving throughout this, uh, especially uh, in the way they're uh, making a point of showing that people at high risk cannot be indoors for long periods of time with others, which is exactly why an indoor minion for a high-risk person is very risky. So they're doing the correct thing by leading by example. I'm glad you pointed that out. A hundred percent. And maybe some of the people who would run to Rabbi Cohn and many other great poskim, many other great halachic decisors on so many different issues, maybe they should run to them to consult how to hold a bar mitzvah or a wedding or some type of social event in their community uh, to do it the right way and to do it following the rules. I have a feeling that if they went to someone like him with a question like that, our events would look much different. Absolutely. And and they have to look different for a while. I, I just, you know, I have to tell you, it, it, people have such short memories. The weddings that were happening during the peak of COVID, it, you know, if you remember, those beautiful small weddings with the Hudson Kala distance from everybody else, very small numbers, under 15 people, 20 people. Yeah, it was very painful on the one hand for a young Kala to have to have a small wedding, on the other hand, it was inspiring to see them celebrate beautifully, those families, under the best circumstances they could. And I think we should remember those days. It's, they seem to have been forgotten. All of a sudden, those are gone and now being replaced by events with five, 600 people again indoors, which is shocking. Putting 600 people in an indoor venue for four hours is just egregious. It is interesting listening to young couples talk about how incredible their wedding was. They admit it was different, different than their expectations, but incredible like you just described. So wed weddings are different now, but uh, they still can be incredible and still provide amazing memories, especially when, thank God, uh, you know, the, the Hassan and Kala could have their friends there and the crowd may not be gigantic, but there could be, you know, a decent number of people there who want to be there and celebrate. So, Correct. Correct. Uh, 
I thank you very, very much. <laughs> I, I, I can only imagine that he, you. I don't know. I don't know who. I, I don't know who could possibly claim more than you that they have COVID fatigue. Frankly, <laughs> but yeah, I, <laughs> I am COVID fatigue. I'm waiting to. My wife and I are trying to figure out how to get away for a few days because, quite frankly, it's been a very long few months. But. Baruch Hashem, you know, I'm inspired by the people around me. I'm inspired by my staff who've been in every day. They haven't missed a single day since we started this uh, parsha back in uh, early March. Uh, and I'm inspired by uh, most of my patients who are incredibly patient and compliant and doing the right thing. And and I'm inspired by people like you who hang in there and don't get cynical when certain of us don't do the right thing. You know, we have to remember that the majority of us are doing the right thing, I hope, uh, certainly have in the past. And we also have to keep in mind that that our behavior is being looked at uh, throughout the world because New York was the epicenter for COVID here in the United States. And unfortunately, we suffered more than any other state in the world. Uh, And people are looking at how our experience went and how our experience is going forward. I don't think anybody appreciates that in the lay community. While everybody's focused on Florida, California, Arizona right now, uh, there are many experts looking at New York now to see, to study immunity, to study antibodies, to study viral behavior now during the summer months when we thought it would be gone. You know, I, I want to remind everybody, do you remember all the myths when we started out? Yep. There were pre- predictors who said, oh, the hot weather is going to kill COVID. Yep. Uh, I would remind everybody that the average temperature in Phoenix is 107 degrees. Right. The average temperature right now in Miami is 95, yep. and COVID is not gone. It's thriving. So, yeah, I, it, it's been a long haul, but Baruch Hashem, we're here. And, and I'm, I'm grateful to Akkadosh Baruch that I was uh, gifted the ability to live through this. And I want to live through it again and, and get back to normal life. Do you remember the uh, week of Pesach? That's a, I do. That's and a week you'll never week. forget. I'll never forget. And, and we lost a lot of people. You know, people seem to have a very short memory of the numbers of people who died uh, alone in hospitals during that week. Yep. Uh, it was the, the worst tragedy I have ever witnessed, I ever uh, hoped to witness, because... I think that's part of the challenge we're having right now, that people were not allowed into the hospital, so they couldn't visualize what was going on. To them, it was a number. It wasn't a person that was dying. Uh, But when you see a a member of our community or other communities dying alone with no loved one to hold their hands through those last hours, uh, that was a very painful reality. And uh, I want to remind everybody that we never want to return to that again. And that's why you're so passionate, Nahum, because I know you appreciate that. Uh, we never want to return to those days of Pesach when our loved ones were dying alone in every hospital in New York City. If we believe life is precious, let's behave as if life is precious. That's really, that's really the message. Dr. Dietrich, I thank you. Thank you for everything. Thank you so much. Have a good day. Be well. Dr. Stuart Ditchick on a Wednesday morning here at JM in the AM.